Hey, what's up, Hope Young Adults? Welcome back to our next round of Community Conversations. And in this round, we're going to be talking about different people's stories of faith and coming to a relationship with Jesus for themselves. And today I'm excited to introduce you to a friend of mine, Nathaniel Curtis. Nathaniel, could you just introduce yourself and share how long you've lived in the Triangle and what you're up to here? Yeah. So my name is Nathaniel Curtis. As Corey said, he is not lying about that. Um, I've been in the Triangle since 2018 when I moved here to start my PhD at NC State. My PhD is in biological oceanography. Some people just call it marine biology. Um, very specifically, I'm studying marine microbial molecular ecology, which means I use biochemistry to address questions about the microbial community in the ocean, how it interacts with its environment and how that impacts everything from little fish all the way to us and our ecosystems or economies, I should say, surrounding the ocean. That's really interesting. I think sometimes people pit faith against science. And in your journey, uh, clearly, you don't see the, the difference between the two. And I know you're going to share a little bit more of your, your journey of faith and, and how science has even played into that. But could you just share about your background growing up and, and then what led you to be interested in Jesus and maybe how science has even played into that for you? Of course. Um, so my desire to be in science has happened completely outside of faith um, up until recently. Um, me wanting to be a marine biologist started happening when I was three years old, saw Steve Irwin on TV, messing with tiger sharks, and I said, that's cool, that guy's kind of awesome, I want to do that. Um, and so I've been all about marine biology since then, and it's come a long way from wanting to pet sharks to going and pipetting little bits of water just to study small microscopic algae you can't see. Um, but it all does go hand in hand with faith at the end. But that development of accepting that faith had a role in that scientific process was pretty challenging because a lot of the time, as you said, people say that science and religion are at odds with one another. And I felt like that was true for a really long time. I grew up going to church um, up until I was about 10 years old. That's when my parents got divorced. And, you know, when you're 10 years old, you know, you want to take communion because, like, everyone's doing it. And, like, you want to act like, ooh, wine, that's fun. Um, but... Appreciate but, your honesty. Yeah, that, I mean, we've all been there, you know. Um, yeah, from the time my parents got divorced, it seemed like, you know, you kind of get the feeling like, oh, that's not what God wanted for for us and, like, kind of feel abandoned by that. Um, both of my parents stopped going to church after that. And as a result, I also stopped going to church. And the more time I spent in science, the more I said, like, oh, well, religion is just like a really really just a way to explain things that you don't have an answer to. So I got kind of in my own head about that and um, got pretty arrogant in terms of learning about science. Every time I got a tidbit of scientific information, that was one thing that I put against faith. And then when I started my undergrad, I was surrounded by the right people, including my uh, present day wife. She was quite literally the gr girl next door in the dorm uh, next to me, you know, went from trying to help her build a shelf to <laughs> how we're married with our with our cat. Um, that worked out pretty well for you. It really did. Um, and choosing that undergrad might not have been so much of my choice as, you know, God's will to mm. make sure we met um, because she is the one who helped bring, bring me to faith. But she had to work through somebody who had a pretty hardened heart about, you know, science. I thought that Christians were the closed-minded ones and that I had answers because I could read a high school textbook, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, which sounds funny now, but I was like so sure of it back then. Um, 
but as I was taking these classes, learning about things like how enzymes fold and how DNA is replicated, I started to pause and say, this is a little weird, this is a little too, too perfect. Like, how does it work so well on these small levels so efficiently where if any one small thing goes wrong, if we have one of our nucleotide base pairs in DNA, let's say, if we have one of those messed up for a key enzyme, we don't even make it past conception. We're, we don't develop and we're certainly not born. Um, and all of that kind of amounted to me going on a journey where I, my heart was softened and I began to accept that not only might God be real, but the God of the Bible is real and he did send his son for us. Um, something that I've really been inspired by is thinking about all of the founders for all of the other religions all around the world you can go to the grave sites of their founders. Where is Jesus? You can't go to you can go to his gravesite, but his body's not there. Um, and that's a long way from going as somebody who says, well, nothing really comes back to life. That's kind of stupid. To being able to say that shamelessly, um, it definitely is quite a journey. And science is really what got me there um, because it's undeniable that God helped create all of this. Mm -hmm. And so now that you've made the decision to put your faith in Jesus, what led you to go into studying science and to taking that further? And how does that, how does that really play a part in your faith journey now? Yeah. So my faith journey is, um, it really was, like I mentioned before, kind of spurned on by my wife of her saying what she needed in a husband and at first when she said I wouldn't ever date someone who I couldn't see marrying and that person would be a Christian my response was you know pretty frustrated angry tears you know yelling at her like that's so close-minded of you um but it is really important to be brought toward one common goal um so as marriages have a common goal and that's to build each other up in Christ equally yoked um relationships are 100 to 100 there's also a part of me that feels the same way in science where science needs to be brought toward a goal. And part of Romans describes how people who kind of turn away from truth and turn away from God um, really upset God because God gave us natural reasoning. Even Aristotle and Plato recognized natural reasoning um, as a way for humans to interact with their environment, learn about life and human nature. and. So science without that same sort of purpose working towards something, I mean, it, it's cool, um, but it is kind of limited in some regard. And that's shown multiple times. There's a really good example of this in oceanography specifically, and it has to do with ocean currents. So for a really long time, we didn't think the ocean really moved. You could maybe drop a coconut, if there's a coconut in your local area, <laughs> drop a coconut in the water, Maybe you see it move, maybe it's the wind. Um, and if you dropped it in a river, certainly you can see the water moving in rivers, but science taught for a really long time that the ocean was kind of a stagnant pool, just really big body of water. And Psalms actually says that the sea follows paths. Well, it was in the Bible, still is, which is the uh, important caveat there, still in the Bible. And oceanographers for the longest time kind of just ignored it, plugged their ears, you know, earth is flat, you're just going to fall off the ends of the earth. We're just going to ignore this little tidbit in the Bible here. Columbus sailed across the ocean blue. Um, back in about 1519, I think it was, Ponce de Leon went and in his journal he said, 
it's kind of odd here. Um, off the coast of the Florida Keys, things are moving pretty fast, actually, in the ocean, but nobody thought much of it. Ben Franklin, actually, um, in the 1700s, he and his uh, cousin Tim Folger were discussing things, interacting with one another, and also saying, hey, we've kind of noticed that the ocean moves pretty fast, and they're referring to the Gulf Stream. And it wasn't until uh, Matthew Morey, who was a naval officer in 1800s, went and said, no, I, I just studied this in my Bible. It's in Psalms. The ocean has paths. He discovered that not only does the ocean move at the surface, but the ocean also has countercurrents down at depth. And there's a whole global ocean circulation system. And for the longest time, this was just like anti-scientific. But it's in the Bible. It's been there the entire time. And we as humans just kind of spaced out, didn't see it. Um, we can think back to Copernicus being jailed for saying, hey, you know, Earth might not be the center of the solar system and that being blasphemy, but there it is. We now know that the sun is the center of the solar system. Um, science is definitely the pursuit of truth and going, trying to find things out without that desire to find truth. You're just looking for something. And then when you find something, you say, oh, I, I have a perfect explanation for that. And you don't consider God at all. You're missing a lot of what's right in front of you, um, a lot of evidence. And I think that's something important about um, the work that I'm doing, not like I'm doing God's work in that regard, but just trying to be transparent with science, um, not trying to bend anything um, just to fit some sort of narrative, not to make a funding agency happy, being truthful and then as a Christian saying, and how beautiful is it that this is actually how the world works? A little mm -hmm. crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that if you study history, that this like the dichotomy between faith and science is a newer thing. Like, when you look at the history of development of thought, even universities, many of the first universities were founded by Christians who believed that you could study the universe and all the different fields of science and discover truth because God created it. And that studying those different fields was a way of understanding the creation that God made, and it pointed to the Creator. And the Bible gives us the specific revelation of what God's like and His character, and those two things go really well together, and they don't have to be at odds. But it's been in the modern world where sometimes faith and science have been put against each other. And it's so cool to hear your journey that not only did science help you see the evidence of a Creator, but then you met a Christian who you happened to like, who was a girl, and helped. she helped you see that that creator really cared about you, that he gave his life for you, and his name is Jesus. And even though you had some bad experiences growing up in the church as a kid and some hard things happened to your family, you came to understand a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And so now that you have that relationship, it's so cool to hear your you know, passion for science really coming alive and how that really meshes with your faith. But how has that journey with Jesus maybe changed the way you think about yourself and just maybe your purpose in life um, since really coming to find him in a, in a more personal way? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, who I am predisposed to be based on my nature and having a period of you know going through puberty and growing up mm -hmm. and outside of a relationship with God, I kind of know 
who I'm predisposed to be without that relationship with God. And it's not good. Very self-serving. Um, I love to lie about just random stuff. It drove, drove my parents crazy. It, it would be stupid. They'd be like, did you eat this donut? It's fine if you didn't. I'd still say no, even though, you know, they didn't care if I ate a donut. Um, you know, kind of full of myself, low self-esteem from you know, bullying in high school, like what a lot of people go through. And that went into trying to boost myself up to a point where I had to seek people's acceptance and serving other people as your master and trying to get their acceptance. It never ends, ends up well. Um, even when you're serving somebody that you love and they love you back, any slight against you, if they're kind of the pinnacle, if, the, if they're all there is to you, any day that they're just having a bad day and they kind of snap at you can be, um, can be like really devastating. So finding a relationship with God and accepting that all of the glories that I'm seeing in science and everything that I'm learning about, like the more I learn in science, the more it's hard for me to refute God because of how perfect it is. The more I want to dig into the Bible and say, how did you do this? And then as I dig into the Bible and figure out how God works and build that relationship with him, I want to serve God more and more. And each step I've taken in obedience, going from really don't want to be a Christian, I don't want anything to do with organized religion, I recognize my issue wasn't with God, it was with people. And people just not living up to the commandments of God. And that's forgivable because of our nature. And God, God's also forgivable. Came down to earth and died the most painful, miserable death. Um, if you haven't seen Passion of the Christ, it that's something else. Um, it, I hadn't seen it, and I hadn't really heard the Passion story, and that just meant something else entirely to me. And I was like, wow, he, like that kind of love is remarkable. I'd much rather serve somebody who loves me so much that died the most painful death possible for me even though I there was a point where I didn't want to be with him it went from not wanting to be a Christian not wanting anything to do with organized religion to saying all right I don't want to do that but like maybe tithing you know God understands I'm a grad student I don't make a lot of money no I'm gonna tithe and then God provides more than what I could have expected and then well I don't really want to start leading a small group and then I started leading a small group not only have I'm meeting some great friends, but I'm also feeling a call to step out in a sort of ministry leadership way. Um, what that looks like exactly, I'm not sure. Um, but each time I take a step of obedience to serve God instead of serving something else like money or sex or whatever it might be, I grow a lot more and I'm a lot happier with myself and the outcomes that I'm running into because of it are better than what I know I would have created for myself because I know that I would have had a tendency to self-destruct, I'll say. Wow, that's, that's really cool to hear. And for those, those that might be out there that are still skeptical about Jesus and how faith and science go together, just from where you are in your life, what would you want to say to them to give them some encouragement in their journey? So I know it can be really intimidating to trust me, I'm on a college campus working in science where a lot of people are pursuing those truths. They find something cool out and they'll turn away from God and even talk down about people who have religious beliefs. It can be frustrating and it can be scary to, at that point, stand up and say, no, you know, I, I am a Christian. I'm asked a lot, how can you be a Christian and a scientist? And 
I say very easily because if you know something such as Leventhal's paradox, which is discussing how enzymes fold, um, enzymes are just a series of amino acids, basically small molecules, um, and these small molecules join together and based on their arrangement, based on how they twist and turn and fold in on each other, that is actually what makes enzymes function. Leventhal back in, um, I think it was around 1969 or so, said that the chance for the, these peptides to fold in a way that um, enzymes exist in their natural state, which is the state that they exist in our bodies, perform our important cellular functions, the chance for that to happen randomly would be longer than the age that the universe has existed. And this is post Big Bang Theory, so it's the 13.8 billion years estimate. So that's a really long time, and there's hundreds of thousands of enzymes, all very diverse across all organisms on the planet. How does that happen? Some people might say, well, it's just the energy funneling is how they try to describe it, where based on a law of thermodynamics, um, everything goes toward randomness, right? Entropy increases, and they say there's a state where it's okay for entropy to decrease because of free energy and it gets heavily chemical and I'll save all the details for that. And it's basically just, oh, the environment allows for this to happen. Yeah, but why? Why? Why can it take an enzyme over 13.8 billion years to randomly fold into something that functions and your answer is just, oh, because it just has an environment that allows it to go against the law of thermodynamics. like okay, like maybe we need to humble ourselves a little bit. We know a lot as scientists, but I think, you know, 1929, Hubble just found that the universe was expanding. Nobody thought that was the case and spit on people who thought, <laughs> thought any different. And you come to find out that us humans, we're pretty fallible. And there's a lot that we don't know, but there's a lot of smart people on the planet who are very proud of how smart they are. Don't be one of those people that gets caught in the trap of knowing a lot. It's good to know a lot, but don't think you know everything and can turn away from some of the miracles that we see right before our eyes every day. Even in you know computer simulation models, people just watch these go through and they can operate in literally infinite dimensions. Some of these models are pretty remarkable and some physicists and mathematicians are able to conceptualize multiple dimensions and um, various problems but none of, well, I shouldn't say none of, very few of those people take a moment and say, you know what, maybe an infinite, you know, dimensionless being, maybe that's not so impossible because I'm working in these problems here. There's so much evidence out there in modern day science that can actually lead you to not only the existence of God, but also the Christian God because there's allusions to, like I was saying about ocean currents, things about hand washing that might have come in handy during the Black Plague, let's say, that are right in the Bible, but instead people were shoving flowers in their noses. Um, yeah, stay humble. Um, don't be afraid to stay humble, but also be courageous and stand up when you realize, wow, some of these things are really amazing. Thank God. You can stand up and say, thank God. I don't know all of these things, but it's amazing that you're giving me this intuition to discover your world um, because when you come to that it's a lot easier to go about life and make discoveries even if you're not in science um, a lot of us young adults are living in a world where education is you know 
keep keep going, keep getting another degree, keep getting another degree, keep learning. No matter what field it is, a lot of things will point right back to God. Social sciences, you need to understand human nature, and human nature is best laid out in the Bible, I think. so. Yeah, I've heard it said before that the question isn't whether you'll have faith, it's what you'll put your faith in. And when you study the different fields of science, it really can help you really see evidence of the Creator. And the Bible helps us understand that that Creator loves us and wants a relationship with us and has meaning and purpose for our life, that our, our, our experience in this world isn't just random or chance or accidental, that we were created, as the Bible says, fearfully and, and wonderfully made. And as we get to know that God, he changes the way that we see the world, just like he's, he's changed you. And so I think it's so cool to hear your story and, and your journey and, and how God's made you uniquely and your scientific mind and how that's helped you to find a relationship with God and how those things go together for you. And if you're out there and you still have questions about that, you're not the first person with those questions. Ask your questions. There's great resources out there. But ultimately, you have to decide what you'll put your faith in for yourself and we're here at Hope to love you wherever you are and to welcome you in the community. If you still have questions, you can belong here before you have it all figured out. And we're going to walk with you so that you can help find a real relationship with Jesus for yourself. And so we hope you'll check us out. If you want to join us at Young Adults or, or Hope on Sunday morning, there's even some online resources you can find at gethope.net. If you have questions on our growth track page under Explore, there's some great resources there for you. So we're glad you you joined us for this round of community conversations. And wait, Nathaniel, before we go, there's one more question I want to ask you. What's up? I forgot to ask at the beginning. If you're new to the Triangle, where is the best place to get a burrito? Because that's really important and they need to know. I should be biased. Being at NC State, we have a Taco Bell Cantina, which is quite the experience. Um, Crunchwrap Supremes are always hard to beat. But I believe you specifically mentioned burrito coming from a scientific standpoint. Address the question first. Address it directly. There's a place in Moorhead City, which is two and a half hours away, and it's very, Moorhead City is important to us in North Carolina, not only as an important area of commerce for a lot of our uh, seafood, especially oysters, but it's also where UNC and NC State have their centers for marine science. And one of the restaurants just up the road from there is called Dank Burrito. And Dank Burrito has opened a location at Transfer Food Hall in downtown Raleigh. So if you're new to the Triangle, which a lot of people are, we're growing so fast. Um, I would go to transfer if there's no ID checks or anything like that. Everyone's welcome. Bring your kids, bring your friends, bring your dogs. Um, they don't seem cat friendly for some reason, uh, maybe an iguana or so. But they have really good burritos. Um, they take cheer wine, another North Carolina staple, and make a good like barbecue sort of reduction sauce. And they can put those on quesadillas. Um, they have everything. It's definitely the best burrito that you could have in Raleigh, I think. All right, maybe they'll see you there? Oh, maybe they will. Yeah, for sure. If you have any questions, um, if you ever see me around at Hope or um, really any young adult, I would say you're not alone in whatever struggles you're having. Even if you're totally fine with reckoning what you know um, and your faith, there might be some other area that you're struggling with, and I'm sure all of those things can be addressed. Um, always know you're not alone. Never feel ashamed or afraid to come talk to somebody and ask them questions, um, especially any of the staff at Hope. And we have that good next steps area um, if you're trying to get involved in growth, tra growth track. Um, yeah, it, it's a really place to be at church, and as Corey was saying, everyone's very welcoming. Even 
when you start off by saying, yeah, communion's a little sketchy. That's what I, how I felt at the beginning when I came to Hope and um, turned around. I understand the value in it. It's a great place to learn. And I do feel like a lot of the sermons are pretty intellectual on a level also, which is um, definitely nice. So it's good. Um, it's good community. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for sharing your journey. Hope it was an encouragement to you and that you'll join us next time for our next round of community conversations. Take care, everybody. See ya.